Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. Hope everybody is doing well. Um, we are your hosts. I am Jordan Porter, joined by the beautiful Yvonne Brandenburg. And then, <laughs> of course, our guest this week is Brittany Laughlin. Boop, boop. Hi. Hey. Hi. <laughs> our RVT VTS in neurology to help us with our neuro series. <laughs> right. So we don't sound like complete noobs. <laughs> Oh, sure. It's like not. a that's a nerd term. <laughs> How is that a nerd term? That is a nerd term. All right, all right, all right, cool. <laughs> <sighs> so this week we are discussing seizures in dogs and cats, more than just the shakes. Um, this is eligible for one hour of race approved CE for our members in the internal medicine for vet techs membership site. Just complete the quiz and you can get your race approved certificate. Non-members though can use this as just self-study. And then, you know, getting your brain to expand. You see what is I that did it? right there? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We're talking yeah. all things brains. This- uh-huh the series well I guess not all brains like it's nerves too right didn't we just kind of discuss this it's not yeah (laughs) right because wait wait Jordan I got this because there's the central nervous system and then there's the peripheral nervous system we learned that last week correct (laughs) he's like yeah you remembered something (laughs) always a bonus all right well we'll let Brittany take it away because I don't think we have any housekeeping to do no i think uh, we're recording these in advance so it's like, i know we're recording in uh, we're recording right before thanksgiving so hopefully when this comes out everybody had a wonderful thanksgiving got some rest we're this episode i think is is this coming out before christmas or after do we know this is before christmas okay this so is gonna be the week like a week after thanksgiving okay week and a half after all right so this is going out early december how about that we'll just say early december (laughs) definitely after thanksgiving yeah which means (laughs) everybody is in the swing of the holidays and we all know the holidays and veterinary clinics can be crazy yes so just a touch so just remember to take a break everyone and stay healthy (laughs) <sighs> all right, Brittany, are you ready for this? We're going to, I mean, are you ready for this? <laughs> I don't know. I'm scared. <laughs> well, seizures are easy. Okay. Come back from a neurology tech. They're <laughs> <laughs> not too complicated. Um, oh. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's like me, me being like Cushing's disease. Isn't that complicated? And she's like, uh, true. Yeah. yeah. I would be like, mm, I don't know. Something about cortisol I don't know <laughs> <laughs> nice um okay so um the one thing that's a little bit tricky is uh, so um if if y'all remember from last week when we were talking about the brain we kind of mentioned seizures a little bit 
and that um, seizures themselves are not a disease, but actually a clinical sign, and they are specifically a clinical sign of forebrain disease. So sometimes it's a little bit tricky to talk about seizures because it gets kind of convoluted into between talking about diseases that cause seizures versus talking about the seizures themselves. So um, I think we hit kind of a, a nice middle ground to be able to kind of talk about both things without getting too too sidetracked or too out of out of line or what information would be useful. So, um, so yeah, so seizures themselves are just a clinical sign of forebrain disease. The only real kind of quote unquote, uh, true seizure diseases would be, um, idiopathic epilepsy or, um, cryptogenic epilepsy. So these are the things that we don't know why the seizures are happening, but, um, the seizures are definitely happening. So that's the only time, you know, that we would consider seizures a disease in and of themselves, I guess. Um, there's many, 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 many different potential reasons for seizures. And uh, this is what I mean, where I didn't want to get too bogged down into those rabbit holes. Right. Um, <laughs> it's the uh, diagnosis we'll, of rule outs again. <laughs> right, right. So we'll try to, you know, mention here and there things worth knowing, but try not to get sucked into all the various and sundry different causes for seizures. Right. Um, so what a seizure is then is what's, so what's happening in the forebrain is um, there's a sudden onset of a hypersynchronous discharge of electrical activity in the forebrain. So basically this means the neurons in the forebrain start firing kind of all together synchronously and it, uh, causes clinical signs that we see. So um, when this happens, it can affect just a small little part of the brain, which would be um, produce kind of what we call partial seizures. If it's not, you know, the entire dog is affected by it, but maybe the dog's only doing some like um, weird behavior things like um, only chopping his jaws or maybe lifting one leg up or something like that versus the entire brain can be affected. And that's when we see things like generalized seizures or those big kind of grand mal tonic clonic kind of classic seizures that you think about. Um, when we're talking about epilepsy or when we are, when we do uh, kind of diagnose the seizure disease. Epilepsy we usually will define um, basically as just recurring seizure, seizures. You'll find lots of different guidelines out there depending on where you're looking for this information, but usually somewhere in the neighborhood of um, happening at least once a month in frequency. Some um, neurologists will, you know, want it to be more frequent than that or less frequent is, you know, basically you don't want any patients to have seizures anyway. So <laughs> now, now when, right, yeah. now when you're saying like epilepsy is defined by that, this is like without medications on board, right. That, that we're saying this is how frequently they occur. Or is it also if there's medications on board, like, uh, I, I mean, kind, kind of both things, right. So the initial, you know, the very first seizure to ever happen, we can't predict, is this going to be the only one? Or is there going to be more? Or do we need to hurry up and start medications? Can we wait and see kind of how it presents itself? That kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so, and the answer to all, all those questions are just depends on the doctor. <laughs> I was going to say doctors, it's probably like depends on severity of it. Yeah. Clients, doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All that. Yeah, absolutely. All that stuff. <laughs> so, you know, if they have one seizure and they don't get put on medication and then they have another seizure, well then 
it might be that they truly do have a seizure disorder. If they have one seizure, never have one again, and they never got put on medication, then great. Maybe we don't need to worry about it. If they had two seizures and got put on medication are still having seizures, then they, you know, mm. it kind of all falls under the same. <laughs> right. And I, and I guess the important part about that is just making sure all the other stuff is ruled out. So it's yeah. not caused yeah. by other things. So that yeah. makes the sense. biggest thing is that it's a recurring thing that it's not just like a, a one-time uh, event that ever happened in the patient's life, you know, that, right. that it's happening with some, some amount of frequency. So I didn't, you know, I didn't want to get too crazy into, we already talked a little bit about the anatomy and stuff, but just wanted to have a little brief, simple conversation about the kind of the physiology of this. Um, so, um, when the nerves are firing or transmitting an impulse, um, in order to do that, in order to transmit that impulse, the, the neurons have to meet a certain level of stimulation. So the neurotransmitters are coming across and stimulating the nerve and the nerve, you know, gets a little bit, gets a little bit, but only once it reaches the threshold um, or the minimum amount of stimulation it needs in order to transmit that impulse, that's when that'll happen. If it never reaches that, then the, the transmission never happens. So when, uh, when we have a seizure, what is happening is that the, you know, initial neuron maybe meets its threshold and starts to fire. And then it starts to, um, kind of recruit the adjacent neurons around it to fire along with it mm. instead of just kind of at random. And one of the ways that I, um, like to try to explain this to students that I think helps is if you think about, um, applause at a concert. Mm. So if you go to a concert and the band finishes a song and everybody claps, it's all at random, right? Everybody's clapping and you can recognize that, but there's not um, any rhyme or reason to it. Everybody's doing it at their own pace and at their own strength and um, that sort of thing. But maybe the band starts to play, you know, a very specific song, the next song, and the singer starts to clap in a rhythm along with the song. And then the band members do it too. And then that recruits everybody in the audience to clap along with them. And then you have this whole audience full of people that are clapping in sync with each other, hmm. right? And so it's the same kind of idea that you have a little group of nerves that start firing in sync with each other and it recruits more and more in the neighborhood to do the same thing. Hmm. And that synchronized firing is what sets off, you know, the, the inability, um, or sets off what we see as seizure um, activity in the patient. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. And then kind of like at a concert, eventually some people get tired of it and they're like, all right, all right, I'm not doing this clapping <laughs> thing anymore. And then it kind of fizzles out, you know? And so similar with the seizure is that eventually it'll stop, hopefully. <laughs> and then, you know, they'll stop having the clinical signs of seizures that we see. And then so then one of the other things that's kind of cool, and this is part of what's, uh, you know, one of the many and numerous reasons why neuro school is that the area um, of the seizure focus, so where that hypersynchronous activity is happening in the brain is going to determine the seizure type mm. that happens. So if you have a seizure um, in one half of your brain that's in the motor cortex, then you might have some like um, movement or twitching of like, say mm. one limb, right? 
if you have a seizure in kind of the behavioral emotional centers, um, then you might have kind of more like behavioral psychomotor, um, really abnormal looking hmm. type seizures. You know, when the entire brain is having a seizure, that's when you get that entire body affected too. So it's kind of cool. So sometimes you can kind of uh, pinpoint a little bit what area is maybe the problem area based on what the seizures themselves look like. And like, but- okay, so the other thing I'm thinking about with that is like, if you're talking recruitment, so this is probably why people talk about like the pre-phase, like they can see when like a pet's about to ramp up, right? Cause like <laughs> something's firing wrong. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's like, it Mm -hmm. spreads like wildfire and then they do the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yes. Yes. And even in people like uh, humans that have seizures can, um, they have that kind of, do they call it a pre um, Um, you can call it that, um, there's, um, in human medicine, they kind of subdivide it into like prodromal and aura. Oh, yeah. I think more people are familiar with aura because it's kind of a similar idea to like migraine auras where you know you have that like sense that like mm-hmm. something's not quite right. That's interesting and yeah, my problem. dog does that. She'll um, find me. Like if she's about to have a seizure, she'll come find me mm-hmm. and like lay on the couch with me. Um, she's like, I feel weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And most clients, uh, have have that sense too that they can tell like this is going to be a seizure day like the behavior doing this thing that oh interesting mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's something and it can be very different what that thing is but there's something that kind of precipitates interesting that's pretty cool or starts to you know show up before the seizure does right Hmm, super cool Okay. so, (laughs) So, um, how seizures present. So, um, Fortunately, unfortunately, I'm not really sure. So it can, seizures can occur in any species at any age in any breed. Um, if we're talking specifically about idiopathic epilepsy, um, there is a little bit of a, uh, guidelines that usually it's going to show up between six months and six years of age. Um, and that may be a little bit more prevalent, um, in certain breeds uh, more than others. But again, it could happen to any breed. So Huskies, Border Collies, Collies, Labs, Setters, Schnauzers, Dachshund, like, you know, all these types of breeds. I always kind of joke around like the Arctic type breeds, the kind of high stress oh. kind of breeds <laughs> tend, tend to be CZ, well, CZ type of dogs, you know, but, <laughs> you know, I'm a little neurotic anyway. Um, but yeah, it could be any, any, any breed um, hmm. it could uh, show up in. Um, and so if you, you know, have a patient that's presenting to you for seizures, taking a history is, is one of the more important aspects of kind of uh, the starting that identification process and figuring out where to, where to go from here. So um, usually you're going to have these patients that are coming in because the owners are complaining that there's some sort of uh, abnormal behavior that's happening. Um, In the case of generalized seizures specifically, which is the most common type that we'll see, um, animals can certainly have many different types, um, but generalized is is definitely the most common type. Um, And this, by generalized, I mean, this is like the tonic-clonic or grand mal. It all means the same thing. Mm. It just means the entire brain is seizing basically. Um, so what, um, this looks like clinically is a loss of consciousness with bilateral body movements. Um, usually, um, it'll 
be described as having some sort of abnormal behavior just before. So some uh, owners will notice their dog might do some like stargazing, maybe they're whinier than normal, maybe they go and hide or they hide in a specific area or they're <laughs> clinging, Jordan. Um, they come in and find you. Uh, and then usually, usually they'll have kind of a stiffening um, of their body. So their front legs will stiffen, sometimes they'll throw their head back and then they'll fall over laterally. Um, after they fall over, they usually paddle their legs for a little while. They'll have some excessive salivation, jumping in the jaws. They may urinate, they may defecate. Um, these are all really common things that happen during a seizure, although not all things will be present. You know, some dogs might fall over and only chomp their jaws or only paddle their legs, um, but any combination of those things are kind of classic for yeah, and I seizures. think, um, um, I don't know, but uh, the cats that I've seen that have seizures, to me, they're almost like more violent looking because a lot of times they're doing like the jumping mm -hmm. and like, if you've ever seen that cat in a kennel mm -hmm. have a seizure, it mm -hmm. is like the worst thing ever. It sounds like a cat is in like the dryer and they're just jumping around it. And I'm just like, <laughs> ah, stop it. It's horrible. Um, so imagine that, like if, if that's your cat at home, I don't know. I feel like clients always freak yeah. out with, with dogs or cats, especially the first time they have a seizure. And they're like, what yes. is happening? I mean, it's very, so, uh, yeah. it's very scary. Uh, it's very stressful. It's very scary. So, um, yeah, they absolutely, uh, mm -hmm. are very worried. So, um, yeah, which makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to see that happen to their pet, you know? So, um, so all that stuff happens and then usually there's a somewhat abrupt end um, and then that's followed by a period mm -hmm. of disorientation. Usually this will be kind of a few minutes, might even take a couple hours before they kind of go back to normal. And disorientation is like a super, super vague way for me to say that they yeah. just aren't themselves. And that could be, again, in any number of ways, they could be clingier than normal. They could go and hide. We had, um, uh, I have one patient that's, that's like my career patient. She's been with me since I very first started, um, that she used to have, she used to go, go nuts when she stopped seizing. She would run around the house for like two hours, mm. like a crazy dog because she could not settle herself down. Um, when I was a very, very, very baby, baby, uh, assistant working at my very first practice, we had a, um, a boarding client that would come and their dog would always seize within the first 30 minutes that they showed up. Oh. So we would like just put them in a kennel in the treatment room until the seizure happened. <laughs> and then, you know, that was the only time he had a seizure while he was there. So we just had to wait for that to happen. And then he could go about oh his boarding business. Um, but he, um, was really, really aggressive oh. afterwards. So he, um, would like hackles up lunge snap, and he was a super nice dog. He was a super nice dog. He just, in that period after having a seizure, wasn't, still wasn't quite mentally there yet. And so he had this little phase, um, what we call a postictal phase that was wow. a little bit aggressive. So, so like I said, it looks different for different dogs. It's worth taking note of what that looks like. Um, so that, you know, also, um, and then, like I said, seizures can kind of look however they want. Um, and it can be any combination of those things, um, for, especially for generalized seizures. Um, I do like to mention too, that 
uh, signs like nystagmus and vomiting are usually not seizure things, mm. usually. Because um, every now and then we'll have clients that say, oh, he threw up or his eyes were like rolling around like crazy. And like, it's possible and it could be a part of it, but it's really, uh, it's really I uncommon. Say, it's usually like, mm, yeah, I think of like the vomiting thing and like, so they may have had a bagel response. <laughs> that may oh, but- not have been a seizure. <laughs> I mean, but I wonder if like, is it because like my dog, when she has a seizure, she vomits after the seizure, like consistently mm-hmm. after. That's how I know it's done is because mm-hmm. like she walks away and she vomits yeah. and like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. As a, as a like post-seizure or post-seizure mm-hmm. phenomenon then then that's a thing but like yeah no 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 she never does like hers are (laughs) hers are very like they've remained very consistent over the years she gets very stiff um she'll walk around she's still coherent she'll look at me like oh crap what's going on yeah (laughs) and she'll just can't heavily Mm -hmm. and be super stiff and can't walk and if she tries to walk she'll fall over but not like seizure like the typical like grand mall fall over thing like just she's like mm -hmm. a fainting goat yeah like that's what she does (laughs) but she just pants and then she'll when she's done she'll get up and like walk away vomit and then like be done for the day and she'll pant for probably like a good 30 minutes like drooling and panting afterwards but she's never had a grand mall knock on wood (laughs) she's only 16 it's i think that's the hard part too is because non-classic seizures right can look like anything I think yes. it's, it's really difficult for mm-hmm. some of these owners because I think like we've had, um, a couple of, of, um, that they're like, I don't know what's going on. Like they just, all of a sudden, like something switches in them and they become aggressive and it's like normal. They're, they're totally mm-hmm. fine otherwise. And we've, we've sent them to a neurologist mm-hmm. and, and, and I think one was like, yeah, this is kind of a weird seizure, but it's, you know, it's, it's only part of the brain instead of the full thing like the classic and it, and so I wonder mm-hmm. you know how many weird behaviors some of these dogs can get you know like are they having an aura <laughs> you know and we just never mm-hmm. know um so yeah and it's hard I mean even for like working in neurology it's hard for us sometimes too and so that's why um, this next bit, it's very, 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 very important to get a really good description mm. of what's happening or better yet a video. And we kind of have like a, a loose joke at, at my work. I don't know about you guys about clients and their oh. video taking abilities. Cause usually they like, you know, <laughs> zoom in on the front leg and you're like, I just want to see the whole dot, you know, like I just need you to stand six feet away. We all know how far that is now. Stand six feet away. Hold the camera still with your dog in the middle of it so I can see what's yeah. going on. I don't want yeah. zoomed in. <laughs> I don't want anything zoomed in. But having a good description or a video to be able to see what's going on is going to help us kind of try to piece together what's happening. It doesn't really seem like a seizure. Should we look down other avenues as well or not, you know? Um, so what I like to do when taking a history is to just ask the owners what happened, like, tell me everything about what you saw, um, Mm. from start to finish. Um, because giving them that kind of open space to just talk about it sometimes, um, can, can help you make sense of what they're seeing. If you try to 
kind of lead them into it, then it gets a little bit muddied water. You know, if you start out by being like, well, you know, did they paddle their legs? And it's much easier for owners to say like, well, yeah, Mm. but but what did that look like, you know, versus if you just give them a blank canvas to paint the picture for you, then you can hear them say the things, uh, that, that might tell you. Yeah. And I think it's really important when we're taking history, um, because clients will be like, well, they had a seizure. You're like, what is, what is it? That's nice. Cause, cause I've had clients Mm -hmm. do that to me. And then I'm like, but what did, what happened? And then they describe it. And I'm like, that totally was not a seizure, but okay. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. So that's why it's really important to get them to tell you, or at least, or show you if they can, what exactly is going on. And then some follow-up questions. So how long did it last? But be very cautious with a client's answer to this, because as we kind of alluded to before, um, it's very scary for them to see and to, you know, be a part of and feel helpless about. And so if you ask most clients, how long did it last? They're going to say something like, oh my God, it was five minutes. (laughs) Was, Was it really though? And if you, if you right now Google dog seizure and watch a video of a dog having a seizure, it's probably going to be about a minute long because that's Mm. how long they usually are. Um, But it feels like forever when you're helpless to do anything about it. It feels like a really long time. So, um, so use some caution with how I, it's worth asking to maybe try to get a sense for it, but um, don't hang your hat on, you know, if they're like, oh my God, it was 10 minutes. Don't be like, oh crap, let's go to the ER right away. Like (laughs) maybe it wasn't actually. Um, and then I like to know what was happening before it started. Do they, maybe the owners don't realize that they did identify that, oh, he was acting kind of weird and he was doing this thing. And, you know, does it sound like something that was unusual? Were they running around like a crazy dog in the backyard before it happened? Or were they just laying down or walking around the house or whatever, you know, cause that's going to make a difference as to whether this maybe is actually a seizure or not. And then what happened after, once they were done with their paddling and jerking and whatever, did he just pop back up and go back to what he was doing? Did he vomit <laughs> afterwards? Did he run around the house forever? Did he, you know, he seem odd or, or anything like that? Um, and then get a sense for how frequently this is happening. Was this the first time it ever happened? Is this the 12th time it's happened? Is it the 12th mm-hmm. time today? <laughs> you know, is this, how frequent is this happening? And is it, does it look the same every time too? Does it present the same way every time or is it a little bit different? And then when was the last time it happened? You know, did it happen today? Did it happen two weeks ago? That way you can get a sense for like, should we be a little right. expeditious about getting things going? It was three months <laughs> Or ago. not, you know? <laughs> um, so anyway, <laughs> so all that, history taking stuff is going to help us try to figure out was this actually a seizure because as I think Yvonne you kind of alluded to that (laughs) clients call anything that is abnormal a seizure their dog does anything kind of funny they say my dog had a seizure and this is why we need to get an idea of what was going on because you know maybe it wasn't maybe it was a single episode maybe it was a vestibular episode maybe they were just sleeping and paddling in their sleep legitly legitly that stuff happens especially never ever ever know um especially Mm -hmm. they never owned a dog before there is too sometimes we get a little bit uh like i said it's not always clear cut for us too in neuro um because I've had 
in my career, a handful of those dogs that have the, you know, they're happy wagging their tail and then they flip a switch mm. and are trying to attack your leg or whatever. And is that a seizure or mm. is it some weird behavior thing? And you go down both pathways to try to figure out the answer to that. Mm. And it can be troublesome. And then also, um, uh, there's a few studies that link some uh, GI disease to the kind of behaviors that maybe in the past have been called uh, seizure type behaviors. So things like fly biting and stargazing may actually um, be uh, effects of, uh, I think, I think specifically upper GI, um, upper GI disease. I don't know how much you guys see hmm. stuff like that or have people complain about that stuff, but um, so if that's the only behavior, if all they're doing is fly biting, then maybe it's not actually a seizure, but huh. some sort of. Is that because of the vagal something. nerve? I would say <laughs> that it's like kind of like a esophagitis or like something they that they're trying good. to like make themselves mm. more comfortable. So they're doing these like air aerophagic kind of things to try to make their their belly feel yeah. more comfortable, and that's what that's being interpreted that's really as. Like yeah, I think I've, I think I've had clients or, or like the excessive licking or they'll do like mm-hmm. the weird stretch or something like that with their neck. But I mean, mm-hmm. I guess stargazing. Hmm. Interesting. Like if they're just staring off into space because they're like, I feel like crap. I might vomit. <laughs> I guess I do that sometimes too. If I feel <laughs> nauseous, I'm like, oh, just look at one spot and don't, don't get away yeah. from it. <laughs> Yeah. You just, right. You're trying to talk yourself out of throwing up. So you just got to like breathe through mm. it and not think about it and <laughs> stare up at the face. I think too, yeah. one of the things that's interesting when we talk to clients is, and, and I usually will ask this, I say, especially if it's like, you know, <laughs> the dog was asleep or, you know, they fell over or whatever. Mm-hmm. I ask them, I'm like, well, did they respond to you? Like, you know, if you said their yes. name, did they look at you or, you know, are they interacting with you? Because that I think too can help differentiate, you know, especially like, I feel like for yes. us, we get a lot of people say it's a seizure, but it's syncopal <laughs> and you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I yeah. Mean, you're like, what's too, happening? Absolutely. And then they're like, they just fall over. I'm like, did they do anything? No, but they urinated and you're like, okay. Right. But then they just popped up and I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> but yeah 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 that popping up and like going back to just normal life isn't very uh, that would be atypical of (laughs) seizures for sure but but yeah especially that like uh, it's hard you know if you ask a client were they conscious that's oh yeah no because like first of all they don't really they don't really know what you're talking about but but asking those sorts of things if you called their name would they would they stop or would they come to you or would they look at you at least? Or, you know, if you moved them Especially when they stopped, sleeping. like, um, I, mm-hmm, yeah, if you, if you touch them, will they quit doing it? Um, vestibular, vestibular type dogs, if they're really, really, really dizzy and falling over, they can absolutely fall over and mm. they start to panic because they are really dizzy and can't yeah. get back up. So they paddle. Sometimes in their panic, they might lose their bowels yeah. and urine <laughs> because they're panicking and, and it looks really scary. And I have some like great videos <laughs> where like, here's Ugh. a scary, scary vestibular episode, but yeah. it's not a seizure, you know? Um, and so that's the sort of thing. But if you, if you touch them, if you hold them, do they stop? Because if a dog's truly seizing, if you were able to safely pick right. them up, they're not. Well, and stop. that's a really good point too, you to, know? to, 
to make sure clients understand to be safe with it. Um, because just yes. like with people, right. We don't want to get, not that I guess biting probably happens less with people, <laughs> but you know, the whole, like they, they say, Oh, I have to make sure they don't swallow their tongue. I'm like, please under no mm. circumstances, put your hand in their mouth ever because you will get Correct. it. Um, Correct. Also, can we talk about this just for a hot second? Cause this is like just a ridiculously persistent thing. If every, oh my God, if every single person right now tries to swallow their tongue right now, can no, you even I choke even on your get own it tongue? Past, like- <laughs> right. You can't even get it far enough back where you like even gagging. <laughs> so there's like no freaking way that a dog or a person or anybody is going to be like choking on their own I don't even know where that came tongue. from. So like, just keep your hands out of their mouth. It's like super old, <laughs> old timey, old timey medicine. When people were like, oh, he's got the shakes yeah. or whatever, like just keep your hands it's like the going mouse. along while they while they can't like control the, their face. like well their nose was dry <laughs> so they must be sick oh my god <laughs> they have a fever yes. why yes. their nose was dry what? do you hear do you hear both things that their nose is dry so they must be yeah, sick or yeah yeah, yeah so they must be I hear, or it's cold it's, it's, it's never normally yeah, like, like wet so it must be sick it's either like hot or cold so they must be yeah. sick or yeah. oh they're running a fever why well his nose was dry yeah. Well, uh, okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so just wrapping up kind of history taking stuff, I also asked kind of more general questions. So what kind of medications are they on currently? Um, you know, it's nice to know, have they already been started on seizure drugs or have they, you know, do they have other health conditions, which is then the next question, you know, do they have diabetes also, or I don't know. Cushing's that's a thing you know just so that you know what their concurrent health issues might be um, because that might change how we go down the diagnostic path Um, and then do they have any sort of history of head trauma that they know about you know did they get crushed under a tractor wheel or something (laughs) because that could precipitate seizures you know down the road not even necessarily at the time of the accident but later and then just double checking any potential for toxin exposure or ingestion, um, you know, whether they saw it or not, you know, I'm sure you guys know how this goes for the owners will swear up and down. My dog would never, would never eat something. It wasn't supposed to. And then they to. scour their um, yard and they're like, Ooh, just kidding. We found this chewed up here. <laughs> and you're like, Oh yeah. 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 Oh my God. We had one. We had, it was a terrible, it was probably about a, almost a year and a half ago, maybe now it was like terrible where the, it's like a whole house full of dogs that just one by one <laughs> just succumbed to some mystery illness that involved seizures. And that's why they came in to us. But then the owners called and said, well, we found that at first they were like, oh, no way, no way, no toxins, Uh-oh. nothing, nothing, nothing. And then they're like, well, we, we forgot that we had some like bean dip that was in the fridge for like a year. I'm not even kidding. They said like a year. So they took it out of the fridge after they realized it had been in there. And then they poured bleach in the bean dip because it was all moldy and then just left it in the garage instead of like, you know, throwing it 
in the garbage. So they were eating bleachy, moldy, year old bean dip. Supposedly, we never like we never really confirmed, but like this is as as an example, people don't think that their dogs got into anything, and then once they yeah really start looking into it, they might find some weird stuff. And then there's always the like, oh my neighbor hates right. They threw it over the fence. You know, that like, kind uh-huh. of stuff too. But, mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. How many times have I heard that story? But worth asking just to make sure if there's any possibility because well and to kind of go back to like internal medicine things right um diet go back this is all internal medicine (laughs) (laughs) um diabetes like it's really important um especially if they're on insulin um like did you double dose them (laughs) did mom come home and then dad came home and they both (laughs) gave them right do you know for sure that they ate before yeah. you gave the insulin? Like, yeah. oh, well, let's check BG. <laughs> oh, it's 12. That's why. So once we get the history and all that, assuming that this event that the patient's presenting for actually sounds like a seizure and not any of these other <laughs> myriad of non-seizure things that it could be, then we need to figure out what the underlying cause of the seizure is. And it could be, like I said before, it could be any number of lots and lots of things, including, we don't know, um, but uh, things like cancer, infection, inflammation, systemic disease, congenital diseases, toxins, traumas, <laughs> things like that. Any of that could precipitate um, seizures. So now we got to go down the diagnosing path to try to figure out what it is or is not i think everybody's used to all of these things because (laughs) because every episode rule out (laughs) all the things (laughs) rule out it's a diagnosis of exclusion idiopathic epilepsy so we gotta do all the things to make Mm -hmm. sure it's none of those things (laughs) before we give it a diagnosis um so diagnostically the kind of first and foremost we need to do a neuro exam Um, so immediately after a seizure, um, if you have a patient in your hospital that is seizing right in front of you and then they stop and then you do a neuro exam, um, they will probably have some abnormalities because they're in that postictal phase. Their brain's not totally working right. So, um, you'll probably see maybe some mentation changes, um, maybe some, uh, ataxia or, or changes in their gait. Um, and they might have menace deficits or nasal stimulation deficits. So you like wave your hand at their mm. face. They don't really blink or anything. Cause, cause your brain hurts a little bit. Um, the one big thing, uh, to kind of, mm, keep in your back pocket a little bit, I guess, is that if you do find deficits on the neuro exam, um, without them having just recently seized, um, then it's unlikely that it's an idiopathic thing, right? If the dog comes in after having a seizure two weeks ago and the owners just really want to try to, you know, Mm. figure out what's going on and you do have a menace deficit, it's unlikely that it's idiopathic because there's usually some sort of pathology going on in order for there to be persisting deficits between seizures, you know? Um, so it's all fun and games until you do the neuro exam and you're like, Oh crap, there is some, some unusual things hanging around. So we got to do the workup. Sometimes, you know, we'll have the like six year old dog that neuro exam is really normal and you know, the owners don't want to, or can't afford to do all the workups. So we'll, you know, call them a presumed idiopathic because they kind of fit the mold of what they would um, call idiopathic. And because they don't have neuro exam deficits, then we can uh, kind of loosely assume that it's 
idiopathic unless they prove us otherwise down the, down the road, you know. Um, as far as lab work stuff, I mean, this is, I don't know if this is what happens to you guys. We, we do the same lab work like all, all the time. <laughs> Uh-huh. CBC cam. So looking to see, is there any sort of indication that there is an inflammatory process or do you have other abnormalities on the blood work that's going to lead you in a different way? Doing T4, TSH, maybe ammonia, bile acids. If you're going to look up some metabolic stuff, if you have suspicion for that. Um, infectious disease titers, if that's indicated. Are there specific um, infectious ones those, that that's you usually for? Um, it, it, it's okay. it's going to be different yeah. in different areas of the country. Um, depending on what's more prevalent in your area and things like that. But like, is um, it, is it like a lot I'm of times we'll, more, is it bacterial, viral, fungal, or is it all of it? Um, here, probably more often we worry about fungal mm -hmm. protozoal. That's usually kind of a last ditch. Like that usually we'll send out titers after we've like done MRI and done all that stuff. And it's mm -hmm. like the last T yeah. to cross, you know, we don't usually preemptively like do it unless we have some form. other yeah. suspicion to do that. Yeah. Um, and then doing um, CSF tap and analysis, cause that's going to help us see, is there inflammation in the central nervous system? Um, if we're super duper, 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 duper lucky, maybe you'll actually see an infectious agent or neoplastic cells on the, on the CSF in, in the CSF itself. But, um, I can probably count on two fingers how many Aww. times that's like happened in my career <laughs> we were like yay we know it's fungus because we can see the hyphae in the csf and then you're like oh you're like that's oh, a lot of sorry, badness then but, <laughs> yeah 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 that's it's really that means it's like some bad juju in there if you're seeing it on the csf but um so that's kind of lab work. And then imaging wise, it's all, I mean, the answer is always basically going to be MRI. <laughs> so do an MRI of the brain so we can look at the structure and make sure that there's no structural abnormalities, um, particular for neoplastic or even congenital, you know, if it's a really young pup having some mm. congenital abnormalities, is there some edema in there? Is there, um, are there other things that we need to identify? And then we could do specialized testing, which I think we talked a little bit last week, um, that there is EEGs or electroencephalograms um, in some places that you can do that just looks for um, seizing activities. So basically you're hooking them up to um, some electrodes that are placed in specific parts of the um, skin on the skull and it measures the electrical activity in the brain or kind of records mm. the electrical activity in the brain, um, a little bit like an ECG. And so, the brain is always functioning. So there's always kind of some static wavy lines going across. Um, but when there's a seizure um, happening, you'll see these like kind of clusters of peaks um, like bigger that show up. Waves then. Yeah. That makes mm, sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that can be helpful, especially if it's like, you know, if you have something that you have to um, more or less anesthetize to mm. get them to stop seizing, we can try to characterize it a little bit better. But um, I mean, we, we don't do it super duper frequently. Um, or sometimes it can be helpful for those things that you're like, is it a seizure? I don't really know. Maybe we can get them to come in. And people, um, and people, they, so seizures generally tend to happen when you're overtired. 
Um, and so when people, they usually ask people to, you know, stay up extra late, mm. you know, something like 24 hours or something to be extra tired. And then they come in for their EEG monitoring because um, they want to try to induce that so they can see what's happening. Um, so we can try to set up that sort of situation in dogs, but it's really, really challenging too. So dogs like, I'm just going to go. Another sleep. reason why it doesn't get done. <laughs> right. Another reason why it doesn't get done like super, super frequently. Um, but so essentially, if we can identify a cause, um, then that becomes our diagnosis. So if we do all this stuff and say, oh, look, there's a big old tumor in the brain, then there we have it. That's the cause of the seizures is there's a brain tumor, you know? If all the testing comes up normal, then they get diagnosed as idiopathic. Um, or if they're um, kind of fall outside of that standard idiopathic, you know, six months to six year old, if they're seven and starting to have seizures and all the tests come back normal and we call it cryptogenic. Basically the reason hasn't identified ah, itself yet. I was like, what is cryptogenic? But, hasn't identified itself. Yeah. yeah. Cause <laughs> you know, that 14 year old dog, like, and you're like, like oh, maybe there's like seizures. Probably brain yeah. tumor. Yeah. Right. But if we do the MRI and don't see a brain tumor, it doesn't mean that it's maybe not there, just not in a mm. scale that we can really mm. see yet. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, we need to exclude everything else. Just like all the internal medicine things. So <laughs> <laughs> make sure it's nothing else. Um, so then treatment wise, so if we can uncover an underlying problem, then we can treat that if there is one, or if you can treat it, if it's something that you can, can do something about, um, treat the underlying disease. Um, but for idiopathic stuff and, and kind of in general, most treatments in general are going to be symptomatic. And that just basically looks like preventing seizures. Um, and so we're going to do this by utilizing maintenance anti-epileptic medications. And there are many, many, many different drugs out there. Um, in cases that have really difficult to control seizures, they might, uh, those patients might need more than one medication and sometimes several. Um, so they can be really challenging as well, but, um, just to touch on a few, um, the, the normal go-tos I mean, for most general practitioners, <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the, the kind of big three yeah. uh, as it were. Um, so the, probably the most common one is, uh, still to this day, phenobarbital. Um, it's a little bit old timey. It's been around for a long time, but it's a good one. It does its job pretty well. Um, so its method of action is that it raises the seizure thresholds. Mm. So remember we talked about the nerves need a certain amount of stimulation in order to fire. And so it makes that amount greater. You need more stimulation before it'll actually fire and send mm. its impulse along. So it then prevents seizures because maybe you don't reach that threshold now where you would have without um, the pheno. Um, it gets metabolized in the liver and, and side effects for pheno, um, generally sedation, ataxia. Um, we always joke about the pheno munchies. They are like, they're crazy hungry for the weirdest stuff. Uh, my coworker's dog had seizures and was on pheno and we, um, had big jokes all the time about just the ridiculous stuff that he would eat, like oh just God. all the time. Yeah. I've definitely <laughs> seen that with some of our patients. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be, I mean, and it's not even necessarily food stuff. Like mm -hmm. her dog ate toilet paper. <laughs> it's 
so she would have to like keep the bathroom door closed because you would just sit in there and eat the toilet paper. Which is not good during COVID because everybody's hoarding the toilet paper. (laughs) Right, right. You need the toilet paper. Um, The, probably the next, eh, it's maybe not as common as it once was, but uh, most people have at least kind of heard of it. It's potassium bromide. Um, So this actually is a salt and not a drug. Um, so it's real old timey, like <laughs> alchemy. Like, <laughs> I th- but I think it was used a lot in conjunction uh, with phenobarbital. Like I, I feel like I see yes, that. Yes. And it's still, like and it still does. <laughs> yes, it still does for sure. Cause it, I mean, it still does its job and it's, it's method of mechanism of action is basically the same as phenobarbital. And I don't want to get into specifics about like, you know, on a molecular level or whatever, but basically it raises this seizure threshold it makes it harder for the nurse to fire so they're less likely to have a seizure it gets metabolized in the kidneys so a little bit more friendly for the liver um similar side effects sedation ataxia they also can have increased hunger um increased thirst and then because it's very 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 salty um so mm. gi upset too they get kind of can have kind of pancreatitis type signs because it's i mean it's, well, it's yeah. salt it's <laughs> just straight up drinking some salt water mm. um <laughs> And then the other big one, the other big one is levetiracetam, which everyone hates saying that. So this is Keppra, the brand name. Um, So this is kind of the newer drug, although it is old now, it's like 20 years old, but um, relatively new compared to the other two. Its method of action is that it modulates um, neurotransmitter release. So the neurotransmitters that would instigate the following nerve it's more difficult for them to be released. So it's a little bit different in how it prevents the seizure. Um, it's also metabolized in the kidney and then it's side effects. It really doesn't, it's very, it's really quite safe. Um, maybe some sedation and ataxia, but it really doesn't have a whole lot of crazy side effects. Um, and then, like I said, there's a lot of different kind of seizure drug cocktails out there in different areas. There's different drug yeah. prevalence and doctors prefer different things and whatever. So you didn't want to like get sucked into all that but those are the big ones and the ones that you've probably seen or will definitely see you know patients coming in on these drugs well and i think um, (laughs) for us right uh phenobarbital part of part of the issue with phenobarbital is it is a controlled substance too right so that sometimes Mm -hmm. can be an issue because I know a lot of my clients are like i want three months worth of the medication i'm like you can only have a month Mm -hmm. at a time um and mm-hmm. you know it is metabolized in the liver so if it, especially older pets right if they have liver disease and you know we may need to take them off the phenobarbital and i think that's where like levoteracetam mm-hmm. kind of comes in is like okay we're starting to see some liver changes we need to switch to something that that works different mm-hmm. um and and phenobarb i've seen i've just seen so many seizure patients just like gorked out of their mind on it and I'm like whoa you're you're that pheno seizure patient cool (laughs) so for sure um which I mean that's good transition to what uh (laughs) what clients can expect here um so the big thing and to make sure that clients understand is that if we're treating their um, pet for seizures they are Mm -hmm. going to have breakthrough seizures like it, there is no way for us to guarantee 
that they will never seize again. Right. It's just not a possibility. Um, if we're really, really lucky, maybe they won't. Maybe we'll hit the right combination and it's great and they do great and that's amazing. But sometimes that's not possible and owners have to be, you know, uh, at least aware and a little bit willing to accept that there may be, you know, a few times a year that they have to deal with this. Um, it stinks, but well, and, and hopefully, um, okay. too, you know, <laughs> I feel like the ones that have the most breakthroughs too are the ones that the seizures are really, really bad without them. And so hopefully, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. it's a breakthrough, but it doesn't last as long or it's not as violent or, yes. you know, just so yes, they have seizure, yes. but it's, it's much l- less scary. <laughs> Yeah. And that's part of the goal, right? So if we're symptomatically treating their seizures, we have to find a nice balance between Mm -hmm. controlling the seizures, managing the side effects, and then also making sure they still have a good quality of life too. And so, like you said, hopefully we can get them to a point where they don't have any, um, but maybe if they do, it's not as severe. It doesn't last as long. It's not as scary. I have plenty of clients that their dog had grand mal type seizures. They put them on some medications. Now they have seizures maybe once every couple months and it's just a little bit of facial Mm. twitching or something, you know, so the owners are much more, um, comfortable with managing that compared to, you know, my dog's flailing around and looking scary and right. And all that stuff. Um, we can, uh, sometimes, I don't know how much you guys do things like this, but, um, there's a lot of different, what we would call like a rescue protocol, and that owners can do at home to try to help them avoid lots and lots of vet visits. Cause while we don't, um, want them to have seizures, if they're still having some frequent enough breakthroughs, that might mean the owner feels like they have to bring their dog in every time they have a seizure. And that might be once a mm, month and that's yeah. kind of crazy. <laughs> so giving them some tools to use at home might be helpful to, um, I feel, a lot of times it helps the owners feel more comfortable that they have something they can do because mm-hmm. that's part of the scariness of it is there's nothing you can do while it's happening. So if we give them something to try, um, then that makes them feel a little better. And then maybe they can avoid a vet visit um, this time around yeah. um, by doing these things. So there's a lot of different options out there. And again, it's going to depend on the doctors and things like that. Um, but things like temporarily increasing the medications that they're on, um, even doing pulse therapy medications. So using um, certain medicate, like we'll do this with Keppra mm. a fair amount that like they're not on Keppra um, continuously, but when they have a seizure, then they have, then they start giving Keppra for, you know, three or four days. Yeah. The other one um, that I've seen is chlorazepate. That's a big one. Mm-hmm, we'll do kind of pulse therapies with chlorazepate and uh, things. I yeah. mean, you could do it with any, but really you want it to be something that's fairly quick acting. So using pheno as a pulse therapy is not a very, <laughs> two weeks from two weeks from today, it'll be effective. <laughs> it's very helpful with seizures, but, um, and then you can also do kind of old standards, the um, intranasal or rectum benzos. Um, like with Dazlam or Diazepam, I has a little tiny soapbox. I personally hate the rectal Diazepam situation. I don't think owners enjoy it. I don't it. think anybody enjoys it. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's just, and then, you know, it's just, it's just a lot. So um, I tend to, if we're going to do something like that, um, we tend to do intranasal midazolam it's a little bit mm. easier you know for the clients to to manage you can't do it while they're actually seizing because right. they might get bitten but um but like in the post uh, when they're 
finishing, you know, maybe settling down a little bit, they can do it. Um, and you just, you're just dripping midazolam in their nose and it gets absorbed right there into the sinuses um, and can exert its effect pretty quickly there. And that, I think most, most clients are mm. fairly comfortable with that too. Plus it just gets, I kind of like what you mentioned before, Yvonne, like it gets a little bit hairy, right? Cause these are controlled drugs. And so if you have, especially a large dog that needs five mils uh, of yeah. rectal diazepam per seizure, and then you're like, I'm not giving you seven vials of I know. diazepam injectable yeah. to use at home. That's crazy. Yeah, I've definitely like had to script it out. Like, um, we don't do it super often, but there was a couple of, of patients that were on it and I'm like, I don't feel comfortable with this. <laughs> like, yeah. Great. Yeah. And if you, I mean, if you, I, Every time we get a new resident, I have to give them like a little pep talk because they'll be like, yeah, let's call into CVS for them to pick up a vial of diazepam. I'm like, first of all, CVS doesn't have injectable medications. And second of all, if I call them and ask them for it, they're going to be like, what kind of drug right. are you on? <laughs> Asking me to order like, like they think you're insane. So, <laughs> right. So unless you yourself at your practice is scripting it out, it's, it's really, it's, it's just, mm -hmm. it's a challenge and it's opening yourself up to some potential abuse problems. And, and then plus, you know, people do the thing where they're like, well, I'm going to pre-draw up some diazepam and syringe and give it to the owner so they can use when the, when the seizure happens. Well, diazepam is light sensitive mm -hmm. and it buys some plastic. And if the dog doesn't seize for six, six months, by the time they're giving the rectal diazepam, it's probably not effective anyway. So like, what is the point? Yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's too much. I don't like it. That's my soapbox about that. I mean, you all do what you want, I guess, but well, we, we do what the doctors want. I, to me, there are better other, right. To me, yeah. there are better other solutions yeah. than, than that, that are available. Um, the other thing to kind of give owners a little bit of a heads up is what to consider mm. an emergency for seizures. So if we're talking about, here's some things you can do when your dog does have a seizure, when should they be like, you know what, I need to take him in. So um, there's two kind of conditions or uh, um, things that we want to know about or have them come in for. And one is if they have what we would call a cluster, which is typically defined as two or more seizures within 24 hours. It depends a little bit though. Um, on what the dog's kind of standard seizure mm. activity is. If every time they break through, they have two seizures and that's kind of his standard MO, then that's, mm. that doesn't apply. That, that dog would come in if it had three right. seizures in 24 hours, because that is now different than its kind of standard seizure Yay. breakthrough thing. <laughs> oh, it definitely does. But it's, it's fun to, to tell clients some of these things because they're like but but you said and you're like well right. your dog's an exception <laughs> right 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 your dog is extra special yeah <laughs> and you know they always like to hear that um and then the other big emergency thing which hopefully we're all at least somewhat familiar is if they're um in status uh, epilepticus so this is two or more seizures within 24 hours without returning to normal between so they kind of maintain that mm. postictal not quite themselves in between. Um, and to be honest, in my experience, usually it's that they are having seizures within like minutes to each other, you know, the one would end and then maybe mm. 15 minutes later, they have another one. Um, uh, so either that or if they're having a continued seizure, that's five actual minutes or longer, um, not the owner perceived five minutes, but it's actually lasting quite a long time because those 
you know, if your brain is being hyperactive for that long and you're going to start to run into some other health issues, um, you know, hypoxic and mm, hyperthermic yeah. and all those sorts of things that start to <sighs> head us in the wrong direction and can be life-threatening. So we want those patients to be brought in so that we can kind of keep an eye on them and provide support and intervene if we need to. Um, so that's why it's worth kind of detailing these things to the clients yeah. so they know what to look for and when to to actually get in the car um they don't always nope. listen either, but... <laughs> my favorite is like <laughs> oh yeah he was out in the backyard seizuring for about an hour i'm like oh oh okay well um hey but they brought him I'm now like, well that's so that's that's why your dog looks the way it does right now and why this bill is so expensive <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. The sooner the better, because we want to be able to intervene um, if we can. But, you know, sometimes finances are a problem too. So it can be hard. Um, and then the other thing, which sounds ridiculous, but um, making sure that they understand that the clients, uh, the owners need to give their medications as directed. And these medications generally are for life. So oh, we aren't going to be doing any like <laughs> weaning off or changing or doing any of that stuff without specific We've had several of these soapboxes. The yeah. You mean when it says refill, oh you God. want me to get more of it? You're like, yeah, yeah. there's five mm -hmm. refills. Come on. Also, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I also don't want you to call me after you oh just gave the very last drug and tell me that you need the next oh one in God. eight hours. I mean, eight hours is I, pretty good. I have a lot of people who are time. like, I'm coming by in an hour. I'm like, I can't. We have stickers that say 24 oh hours. God. We have 48 hour matter. stickers. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like 48 hours. Mm -hmm. It says, please call yeah, 48 hours in advance for refill. Yeah. And people still. But, uh, but yeah, they need to understand that, you know, they need to make sure that they're giving these consistently and correctly for the best chance of preventing those breakthroughs and giving them kind of the best best chance well and it depends on how procedures you know like how sensitive the pets are because i've definitely had a couple where they've come in through emergency because they're having a breakthrough and they're like oh yeah well i was like an hour late on medication and i'm like well yeah yeah mm -hmm. okay your dog is sensitive you know so some of them are super yeah sometimes that is it. yeah well that and like for sure i was always informed i guess I don't know. I guess I don't dispense seizure medications anymore, but once you start them, like <laughs> the dogs do become kind of like dependent on them. So if you do skip doses, like they're more likely to have a breakthrough. And so yeah. I'm just like, yeah, well, you can't just come off of it. That's why I took my dog off of it because it was awful remembering to give it. So she would have breakthroughs. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> the life of a vet. Um. <laughs> He will, you know, the other big thing with medications that, uh, it's definitely, you definitely need to make sure the owners are aware of too, especially if this is like first, first time being put on seizure medications is that the initial sedation when they start seizure medications can be yeah. very profound. Like, like they can be very, very drugged up, very, very sleepy, very, very ataxic. Um, and so I, it, is not uncommon for people to call, you know, two days after they take their dog home and they say, I just need to euthanize because he can't live like this. Mm. This is terrible quality of life, but you kind of have to talk them back from that a little bit. I mean, you don't have to, but, um, 
we always try to kind of convince people like they just need a couple weeks, give them some time to get used to these medications. It should resolve, maybe not a hundred percent, but it should get much, much better if you give them some time. Um, But this is something that makes them very, very upset. If you don't give them at least a little bit of a heads up that like, it's okay that your dog's going to look like this, but we need him to kind of look like this because that's how we can't keep the seizures from happening <laughs> until they kind of get used to metabolizing these yeah, drugs. And and it, things, yeah, you know? I've... I even have that conversation sometimes with clients with just pain medication. So like we use gabapentin a ton yeah. and I'm like, just understand mm-hmm. that the first couple doses, their body's not used to having it on board. They're going to be sleepy mm-hmm. and, and, you know, they build up their tolerance yeah. and they feel better, you know, as time progresses. But I think, I think their clients are like, oh my God, a seizures. And now I have this dog that is like, not even acting like a dog. Right. Like and so they're just like, I, this is right. a quality of life. And you're like, calm down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just give it, a, give it some yeah. time. Just yeah. give it some time. Give it a minute. You owe it to your dog. Right. Just give him a sec. See if yeah. it gets better. You know, I mean, if it's, you know, that's what it is, but it's <laughs> worth time telling them, you know, yes. <laughs> And then uh, it's really helpful if clients um, can keep some sort of journal or calendar or some sort of seizure dedicated thing, um, because this can help them identify patterns of breakthroughs. So if they know, hey, my dog has breakthrough every six weeks, that can help them kind of predict for themselves as well as, um, you know, help us understand, are these well controlled? Are they not, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and then even seeing patterns and changes too, because I have plenty of clients that will write down, this is what this one looked like. This is what this one looked like. And they can say, you know, in March, the seizure looked a little bit different and they've looked Mm. different since then, you know, so you can kind of pinpoint when something changed a little bit, um, more, more easily. Yeah. So we, um, and I think we've talked about it before is, is, so we created the canine and feline seizure journal. So this is something that you can definitely give your clients, Um, so it, it's, again, it's a log that tracks seizures, medications, vet visits. Um, and so you can, like, you can go to Amazon and get a copy of it or send your client to go to Amazon to get a copy of it. Um, or (laughs) if you guys want like some for in your clinic, you can just get in touch with us and we can send you some, um, you know, to use in your clinic. But yeah, I think having that journal is huge. Um, because then the client, the clients also feel like they're doing something too, right? They're like, yes, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm tracking it and figuring out <laughs> how to help my pet. <laughs> yeah. And my, my favorite seizure clients are the ones that are like just super yeah. into this stuff. They're like, so on top of it, they have their log, they have written down what doses they're on when yeah. we changed the dose last, what it was changed from, you know, all what the phenol mm-hmm. level was last time we checked, mm-hmm. like all of that stuff. So that you, you know, I don't have to dig through this seven years worth of stuff. You just give me, give me a little Excel worksheet or this little booklet here. And then I can just look at it and have all the information, you know, it's helpful for us too. So, um, so having them do things like that is really helpful. Um, and then my favorite, and I think kind of last little soapboxy thing, uh, is this, the whole like holistic remedy thing. Like I just, <laughs> so there's, I'm sure you guys run into it. The people that are like, I don't want my dog on medications. He's going to get addicted and whatever. Then they put him like, on the 12 herbs. This is, uh-huh. So like, this is how we treat that, you know, like, 
Oh my gosh. So there's plenty of clients that, you know, even to your face, they'll be like, yep, yep, yep. I'll do totally what you say. And then turns out they go home and they Google things and find some random website by John, the holistic Bernie's mountain dark <laughs> breeder or whatever that says give licorice or something. Not that that's even a thing. Right. I, I don't know. <laughs> Oh, it probably is, sis. It probably is. Well, and it's hard because <laughs> my, my um, big thing with that is um, there are some, I I don't like calling it holistic remedies. I like saying um, complementary medicine because that implies that you're mm-hmm. still using kind of traditional Western medication. Sure, but yeah. if you want to potentially add something, you know, as long as there's no drug interaction, mm-hmm that's fine. And, and yes, that may help, but I mean, I think Jordan and I have soapbox about this on, on different things where like, yeah, please don't, please don't treat your pay your pet with this horrible disease just with that, because if that was the case again, that then, then everybody would be doing it. (laughs) Like we're not, we're not being paid by the pharmaceuticals to push the drug whatsoever like none of us get kickbacks from it but we do you know look at studies and the doctors look at you know the studies the journal articles and all that stuff to make sure that what they're recommending Mm -hmm. is appropriate is appropriate right and that's i mean that's where that comes from is that we either have little or no scientific basis for it being efficacious. And like you said, if it was something that was a thing, that's what we would be doing. We're not like withholding treatment because we're just (laughs) jerks like that. Like I don't want your dog to have seizures. So if licorice root actually prevented seizures, then that's what I would be telling you to give or die. You know, like I, I would have no problems with it, but yeah, as you said, like if you want to add to your dog's medication regimen with these things, then, you know, sure, but certainly don't do it by itself and certainly don't stop Mm. what you have been prescribed and do this instead. Um, and the, the problem with seizures, I guess, I don't know how much that happens maybe in some other medicine, um, disease kind of arenas, but is that seizures kind of come and go anyway, right? So if you start them on pheno and they go three months without having a seizure, then the owners might be he like, well, we, he's not having seizures yeah. anymore, right? So I'm going to stop the pheno. And so maybe they do stop it and maybe he continues to not have seizures. But in the meantime, they've been giving licorice root extract or whatever. And so then they're like, well, look mm-hmm. at this. It's the licorice root and not the pheno. And then then they're really, really bummed in a couple of weeks when their dog has like a crazy bad seizure that maybe wouldn't have been that bad if they had just stayed on the, you know, the appropriate medication. So it's worth telling them to try to avoid those things or at the very least to contact you to have a real conversation about it before jumping into mm-hmm. that stuff, you know, cause you know, people do it out of the goodness of their hearts and trying to help their pets and things. And you know, just maybe don't know any better. So try to meet them in the middle and help them make good decisions and things, you know. So uh, long-term, basically, we're, again, just looking to achieve some some good balance of medications and breakthrough and good quality of life. Um, generally, patients do very, very well, especially if they, you know, we determine they're kind of idiopathic and then generally they live nice, happy lives and they're, you know, maybe depending on amount of medications, maybe a little bit high (laughs) sometimes, but 
you know, generally they're happy, happy dogs. So um, nothing to get too worked up about in that regard. And then follow-up stuff, um, usually we recommend annual or biannual visits to do some blood work, mostly chemistries to check for liver and kidney health, phenobarbital levels to make sure they're still in a good range for that. Um, you can do levels of other drugs too, that's just really not as common, um, but you can if that's something that you wanna track for sure. Um, and then we can check their logs and their seizure frequency, make sure the owners are okay with what, you know, what level of control they have right now. Some clients are totally cool with their dogs still having a seizure once every month. Some dogs or some owners really don't like that frequent even, so they want to try adding extra meds or whatever. Um, and so having those conversations. And then basically we just need to maintain that veterinary client-patient <laughs> relationship. Um, because they need to be on these continuous prescriptions and they're controlled drugs generally. So, you know, we just need to, to maintain that relationship. And sometimes this is the most challenging part. I can't even tell you how many times a week I have somebody calling that, well, I haven't seen you in 18 months. So no, I don't particularly <sighs> want to prescribe you your pheno. I'm not sure where you've been getting it for the last six months, but maybe try that route. Yeah, I don't know. We, we like, definitely get that in internal medicine. You know, and then when you call to be like, hey, you really need to come in here. And then they get upset and they're like, I don't understand why. And, you know, not very often, but there has been a time or two in my life where I've, I've said as much as like, I don't know if your dog is alive. Nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I can't just give you these drugs. We need to know that your dog is still here. Oh yeah. So, like for you guys, it's definitely to... worse because of the whole controlled substance. For me, I'm like, it's, right. it's usually dog food or pred or something. And I'm like, well, um, legally right. I can't prescribe it to you. So you can either get it at your primary vet if you've been there right. or you need to schedule a recheck, but we can't continue filling right. it. Most yeah. people will comply, but it's just, you know, you're, I feel like it's yeah. just a constant battle of people being like, well, why do I need to come in? And you know, he needs to be on, you know, like, I know, I know, and I know, you know, but we also need to like actually physically yes. see your dog once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry for the inconvenience, <laughs> yep. you know, um, but that's kind of it, I guess. And I can, I not really that's have it. much that's else all. to I was like, that was a very, like, that was a, a lot of information again. <laughs> so good. <laughs> it's the tip of the week. <laughs> Just a, like a reminder that if you're testing, um, like drug levels of things, you can't use serum separator tubes because the, the gel and the serum separator tubes absorbs. Right. I do think that, uh, absorbs the oh. drugs, you know, and so you'll get falsely low, falsely low readings if you're using tiger top tubes. See, I think I did down. like know that, but I kind of forgot it because so I wait, haven't so that's done a peanut barb so, level in a while. So the gel actually absorbs the drug? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It'll like pull drug out of the serum. And so you'll get falsely low results. Wow. And so it's best to just use empty empty tubes, not just for pheno, for like any drugs, any drug level testing type stuff. And now for the question of the week. Uh, so I think with this week's question of the week, we're just going to say, what's your guys's experience with seizures? Like, have you seen them in your clinic? Have you, you know, what, what, what have you, what have you seen that was kind of crazy or maybe you've never seen a seizure, you know, just, just let us know. So 
Um, you can definitely post that in the Facebook group. If you're in the membership site, you can answer it there. Um, yeah, I'd love to know kind of what your guys' thoughts are. And um, to go with that question of the week, I will tell you my one quick story. <laughs> so when I was working in general practice, uh, we had a duck that would board with us because she had seizures. And so we would occasionally put her in our tub sink um, because she liked to swim in the tub sink. So she would do that. And I'll never forget, she had a seizure while in the tub sink in the middle of treatment. Oh, and no. so, so there was, there was a lot of wing flapping in a tub sink and water everywhere. And we were just trying to get this poor duck like out of the sink. And it was just, it was a hot mess. I believe her name was Daffy, which was really cute. Um, but I, dude, I'll never forget seeing that duck seizure. I was like, holy mo. And I was a baby tech. I was such a baby tech. And I think I saw her seizure before like dogs and cat seizure. <laughs> so your first ever seizure was a duck. I think it may have been. Yeah. Yeah. Which I is think my first ever seizure was my own personal dog. I think I'd poop my pants if that happened. <laughs> like I had gotten her from tech school. And then we moved straight from Ohio to South Carolina. Mm. And like the week after we moved in, she had her first seizure. But like, again, her seizures are very like, but yeah, like, so her first seizure, I was like, uh, what was that? Cause she just like got stiffed and kind of like walked around mm. and like, I couldn't even tell. And then the, like almost exactly a month later it happened again. And I was like, okay, weird. And then like, I think it took me like six months to realize she was having like seizures. I was like, <laughs> you're like, oh, because it was second. like consistently once a month. I was like, what is happening? Crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. I remember probably one of the, maybe not the actual first one, but one of the like early ones when I was like a little assistant. Um, so we had this like kennel guy that was like, he was like a big, you know, six mm. foot tall, like big dude. And he like came running back to the treatment area with like this little poodle, like kind of cradled in his arms. And he's like, the owners just came and they said, they just found her like this. And we were all like, like what? And she was a white poodle that was dyed pink. And we were like, they found her <laughs> dyed pink. I like, don't understand. And then he like shoves her like out of his you know, big pearly arms, he like shoves her to us and she's like actively oh. seizing. We're like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, oh like that. That's what you mean. That she's that is that pink. Jeez. <laughs> That's scary. Uh, it was crazy. She, I think she did fine though. I think we got her to staff and she went. I like how you're like, she's just one of those things. <laughs> right. Like literally there was like three or four of us and we were like, he, I don't understand. And he's like, oh, panicked. And we're like, why are you freaking out? And then he's like, here. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's a problem. But she, he was, you know, he's this big, big dude and this little teeny tiny two kid dog. And you know, it's hard to see oh that God, she was having amazing. a seizure. But. <laughs> <sighs> so we'll definitely, um, we'll definitely put some of the links that you have in our resources. Cause I think those were good. Like with the stargazing okay. and the what, fly, fly biting. Is that what you had? Um, we'll mm -hmm. definitely put that. We'll put a link mm -hmm. to the seizure journal too, in case anybody wants to check that out. Um, trying to think if there's any, I think those were kind of the resources for this week. Cool. I think next week we're talking is next week, hepatic encephalopathy. 
Yes. Is that where we're going? Mm-hmm. We're yeah. staying with the brain and then we're moving peripherally. <laughs> yes. Nice. All right. Well, everybody have a wonderful week. Thank you again, Brittany, for sharing your neuro knowledge with us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me and listening to oh, me talk. You're, you're totally forever. fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we'll have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettex.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.